Now let's look to the Word of God. We are looking in the, in the uh, book of Hebrews to the 11th chapter to what's called the roll call of faith. The writer is lining up the men of the Old Testament, the men and women, and telling us something about their lives and how it relates to faith. And today we're looking at the character Enoch. Uh, and in order to fill in the story, we go back to the Old Testament where Enoch is, is mentioned, and it's back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 5, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then the writer of Hebrews picks up with that thought of Enoch being taken, and he says in Hebrews 11:5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Hebrews 11, the roll call of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By it the elders obtained a good report, a good testimony, literally, a good witness. The Lord Himself witnessed to their character and their faith and gave them approval. And then the writer of Hebrews begins to give us a listing of these uh, people in the Old Testament as examples. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a very thorough list. And it follows pretty much a chronological line. It begins, of course, with the earliest days with, with Abel. And we looked at Abel last week, Cain and Abel and the story of Abel, how that Abel brought a sacrifice to the Lord that was more acceptable and worthy. And we looked at the nature of that sacrifice and how God dealt with Abel. We also looked at how God dealt with Cain and his pleading with Cain to do what was right and to come the right way and to approach God the right way. This all has to do by faith is our coming to God, our approach to God. Those that come to Him must believe that He is the Bible text says it. This is not just a mere belief in the existence of God, but this is a belief that He is, that He is as He reveals Himself to be, that He is as He says He is. It is not just the belief in some impersonal divine power and force and intelligence, but it is belief in the personal revealed God of the patriarchs going back to Adam. This is a most ancient faith. It's interesting when you study world religions, you'll study a little bit about their genesis. Some people are surprised to learn how young Islam is. The Christian faith had been around 600 plus years before Muhammad was born. We have the record of the Jewish faith going back to the calling of Abraham and the seed and offspring that God had promised through Abraham. And this is 2,000 years before Christ. And you look at Buddhism, a denomination of Hinduism, the 6th century BC, 600 years 
Why, all the prophets for all practical purposes have pretty much finished their prophesying. Only a few handful of prophets were still prophesying in Israel when the Buddha appeared upon the scene. And you can go through it all and see that there is a worldwide religion. There's a seeking God. There's a coming to God. There's a trying to find God. There's a, a grasp, a, an attempt to grasp. The human mind tries to grasp something about the reality of God and to somehow relate to Him and please Him and placate Him through all manner of uh, activities and works and sacrifices and deeds and, and, and on and on and on you go. We're talking about here the most ancient faith. The Bible gives us the lineage, the pedigree of the true faith. The faith that God, the creator of heaven and earth, placed in the creature, Adam and Eve, and told them to multiply upon the earth. And that faith is perpetuated and continued. Our faith is not a faith that is novel. It is not something that has arisen lately. But it is the true, ancient, original, authentic faith in the one true God. There's a sense in which Christianity is the fulfillment. In Christ the second Adam, everything was fulfilled and restored that was created and then lost in the original Adam. In the old Adam, all die. In the new Adam, all are made alive. And all in the world, our faith is, as Christians, is the ancient world created faith. It's the faith God gave to humanity, the capacity to believe in Him. Now, one of the interesting things about chapter 5 of Genesis is that it is that lineage. Uh, chapter 5 of Genesis starts with, with Adam, talks about how God created man. He created them in the likeness of God. I never thought this would be a point of debate, but it seems to be today. Verse 2, male and female, He created them. <laughs> And it goes into then the first pair and their offspring. And the story of Genesis 5 is the lineage, the history of humanity, and the notion of faith between Adam and Noah. Now, chapter 4 tells us about Cain and Abel. It tells us about the lineage of Cain. In other words, Cain's offspring began to fill and multiply the earth. But then God, as we know, uh, when the uh, death of Abel occurred and the blood of Abel cried out, basically gospel preaching, telling us about atoning blood. There's something about blood falling in the sand that was the true way of, of uh, reaching the Lord. And it was an atoning sacrifice, uh, propitiating sacrifice, an authentic sacrifice. But then... The um, restoration of that lineage was another son that Adam and Eve had that restored it. And in order to find that, we go back a couple of verses into chapter 4. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another, and by the word Seth means appointment, the 
the uh, don't worry about the doctrine of election. You won't have any problem if you just read the Bible. It's everywhere. God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And listen to this now. We begin the lineage of Seth. To Seth also was born, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, the whole import of talking about the lineage was that the lineage, the offspring, would be godly. They would be in God's image. They would be like God. They would manifest that image. That was the whole thing. God raised up another line. The Cain, the line of Cain had become so corrupted and so absolutely depraved that God started over with a new appointment, with a new election, with a new call, with a new people. You'll see God doing this down through the years. He will raise up. God's solution to most every problem is the birth of a baby boy. You see it in Moses, you see it in Christ, you see it in Samson, you see it all in the Bible. When, when there's a problem with God's people, he begins until God sent forth his son, born of a woman, the, da, the, the son of Mary, but really the son of Eve, the offspring of the woman. So God is setting all this up and telling us how it flows. And, and in the third generation here, we find that Seth's son, the grandson of Adam, called upon the name of the Lord, letting us know that unlike what we, we didn't go into it, but if we would have studied uh, Genesis 4, we would have seen some incredible things about the lineage of Cain. Uh, they were uh, polygamists. They violated the one man, one woman rule. They were murderers and they were um, uh, defiant and they were self-absorbed and they were self-sufficient and they were, they were uh, in rebellion to the gifts of God and they, they, they sought out their own inventions and their own devices. And of course, being made in the image of God and being brilliant and all the pristine environment and the great novelty of things, they, they established a great civilization and cities and marvelous things that the sons of Cain and the descendants of Cain were able to do. But the real important thing is how did they relate to God? How did they come to God? How did they they call upon the Lord. How did they worship the Lord? That's the real thing. The, the, the Bible is not a book of science and technology, although we find a lot of science and technological references and things there that give us great guidance in the sciences and in technology. But it's a book telling us about how mankind, humanity, and bringing it down to a single human, you, you, and you, how you relate to the Lord. The true God, the creator of heaven and earth, and so that's what we find there now in the book of Genesis chapter 5. We have this lineage. And so we have Seth. And an interesting thing, Seth lived 105 years. Then he uh, fathered Enosh. And then, and then he uh, had other sons and daughters. By the way, you see that reference several times. And let us know that it wasn't just this single lineage, that these men lived a long time. And, and they had lots of children. And so the earth began to be uh, uh, populated rather quickly. And the days of Seth were 912 that's a long, long time. And Enosh lived, and, and Enosh lived 815 years. And we find that uh, Adam lived uh, over 900 years. And as you go through this, you begin to see this, this incredible lineage begin to take place. And we come down through the generations. And if you do the math on this, which I've tried to do, and I got close, but then I've read some good commentaries that I think I trust more. But they say basically that Adam lived to see the sixth generation. 
So what you have, you have Adam, then you have uh, Seth, then you have Enosh, and you have these sons being born, and they're living these incredible numbers of years, uh, 930 years, uh, 905, 895, 912, 962. These are the, they lived to see their sons, and it gives the, the rough ages of when the, the, the main son was born, and not the first son necessarily, but the one that you're following the lineage through. And then they lived and lived, and so they were all on the earth together. Can you imagine seeing your great, great, great grandchildren? Can you imagine living like Adam lived to see all of these sons and these, he lived 900 plus years to see his sons live eight and 900 years and their sons and their, and all the sons and the daughters and, the, and, and so forth. The knowledge of the true God had, had, had been stout in the earth. There's a, there's a language that Cain had been isolated and had been banished and he, there were portions of the planet where he was sort of pushed off to. And he had his tremendous culture and his tremendous lineage, but God continued to work mightily through this particular family. The family of Seth and Enosh and all down through. And if you read the genealogies, and genealogies are very important in the Bible. You may think they're boring, but they're very, very important. When you get to the New Testament, read the genealogies of Christ, you'll see that this is Christ's lineage going back through Enoch, Noah and Enoch, and, and, and all the way back then to Adam. The important thing about these generations is this, that God is preserving a godly people. And you see that all the way through. You see these men and their descendants honoring God, no doubt following in the footsteps of the Lord himself in offering the sacrificial uh, animals in the, in the garden for, for Adam and Eve, and then the sacrifice that Abel brought, and the repetition and the restoration of the, of the true religion and the establishment of it in the third generation with Seth and Enosh, and going through, down through the generations. We see this, this marvelous stuff and how long they lived and how they were fruitful and they multiplied and they called upon the name of the Lord. And there's uh, great things happening, wonderful positives happening. But when we get to the seventh generation, we are at Enoch. And we get to Enoch, we see these strange words. He said he lived 65 years and he fathered Methuselah. And by the way, you all know Methuselah lived longer than anybody. And by the way, the reason he did was Methuselah died the year the flood came. He was an ancestor of Noah. And we'll look at Noah next week, but there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a linkage here. That shows us the mercy of God. God put off the flood just about as long as he could. He let years and years and years and years of mercy and grace go by. Noah was preaching his heart out, warning the, the population of the wrath of God to come. And Methuselah, who'd been given the promise that he would live to see it all, lived on up in the Lord. And his mercy kept delaying and Methuselah kept living. And finally then, of course, the rains fell. And we'll look at that story next week in the, as we look at the faith of Noah. But Enoch has a special place. And what happened to Enoch is very, listen, um, listen, Enoch lived 65 years. He fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Now, all these other men walked with God and had a relationship with God and called upon the name of the Lord. But what we're going to see with Enoch is that his faith is highlighted because he enjoyed an, a special relationship. He was the first generation to live after the death of Adam. And all Adam, Adam 
had to endure the curse. In the day that thou eatest of this fruit, thou shalt surely die. And 900 years later, Adam died. And now we're in the seventh generation. And, all, and if you read about every one of them, they died and he died and he died. Be not deceived, God is not mocked whatsoever man sows. He died, he died, he died. Desperate. Here we see in this particular uh, generation as we look at it and we, and we begin to see how it developed and we get to the next chapter, we see that the image of God, male and female, had remained and many children had been produced and great things that had happened. But as Calvin said, the image of God was being obliterated in mankind. And death was executed in each case. You shall surely die was coming to pass. In that generation, there began to be, as we see in the days of Noah, widespread sensuality. They were marrying and giving and marrying. Children became the, the thing. How many children and what kind of marriages and what kind of festivities? And we see that. We see the intermarrying of all the, the families and we see the, inter, the intermarrying and the, the uh, development with the sons of Cain. And, the, and this is really the outworking of the days of depravity. Depravity began to work in the race. More and more people went their own way and established their own methods and their own devices and less and less and less they turned to the Lord. And so by the seventh generation, it was a, a, a pristine and beautiful example to have a man who was noted for his walking with God. The same thing will be said of Noah. But by the time we get to the days of Noah, it said, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every invention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Well, that's pretty discouraging, isn't it? That's six generations of the outworking of depravity and the death of Adam and then eventually the death of all of those patriarchs, all of those ancestors. But listen to the, to the language. The Lord saw... By the way, your sins are always in the sight of the Lord. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart. It wasn't just what he did, it was his thoughts. The Lord saw his intentions and his thoughts. That's why depravity is so, so insidious is that it is that which affects everything in our soul. That's what we mean by total depravity when we talk about it. It doesn't mean that we're absolutely depraved and there's no good in us whatsoever and there's ab we're absolutely rotten to the core in the sense that there is no redeeming values, no remaining vestiges of the image of God. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that the totality, the mind, the heart, the will, the whole soul is affected. And that's what is every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. In other words, it had moved not only to the total depravity of the soul, but it moved to the total debauchery of his activities. They were only evil continually. They wouldn't stop. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't turn. They wouldn't turn back to the Lord. They wouldn't come. They wouldn't respond to the preaching of Enosh and Adam and Enoch and the others. And eventually we know of the story they wouldn't respond at all to the preaching of Noah. 
They wouldn't listen to the voice of God. They wouldn't listen to the voice of the prophets. God told them all the things. And so we now have reached a place where with the rise of the, of, of the generation of Enoch, we have humanity in its lost estate. But what does the Lord do? I'll tell you what he does. He does what he always does. He shines that beam of light that is the gospel even into the darkness of this increasingly sinful and depraved and straying and departing humanity. He shines a beam of light. He sends one man outstanding who trusts completely and implicitly in God. He believed that God was and he was who he said he was. He believed in the God of Adam and Seth and Abel and Seth and Enosh and he walked with this God and his life was a life of godliness. I'm going to quote something that's kind of interesting to me. It's, it's a passage out of the, out of, um, the um, book of Jude. Um, Jude, written by the brother of our Lord Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but another Judas. And he uh, quotes here in writing against the apostates, those that have fallen away and fallen into grave sin and were leading the church uh, astray. He writes of them, it was also about those that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, and he's actually quoting from the book of Enoch, which is a non-canonical source, and there's a lot of debate about how authentic it is and what a representation, but I won't get into that. I'm quoting the inspired writing of, of Jude at this point. He also says about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes. <clears throat> the Lord came with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all. So here is the, the prophecies of Enoch in the day preaching to an ungodly generation and warning them of what? The coming of the Lord, when the Lord returns in judgment upon the earth. Isn't that amazing? Here we are way back there in this ancient day, millennia ago, and we have the preaching of the gospel and the warning of the coming of Christ. But listen to how he, he describes these men coming with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Did you pick up the word ungodly? <laughs> Four times in that, in that synopsis of the prophecy of Enoch, preaching against ungodliness. Well, where's the gospel in the life of Enoch? Well, let me mention one thing about him. It says here that the days of Enoch were 365 years. What? Everybody else is living 800 and 900 years. Methuselah lived 900 and he was a descendant. Of, what happened? What happened to Enoch? One third of the way through his life, 365 years old, and he's, he's gone. He's caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall he ever be with the Lord. This is a witness and a testimony and a prefiguring of that 
time when the Lord comes to take those that have been faithful to him in their faith and to take them unto himself. And the interesting language it's used, it said he was not found, he was, is, is that the word is often used, he was translated. I, I would think that a, son, my, a, a term my grandson used, teleported. <laughs> but he was more than just teleported. He was translated, he was changed. He was changed. And it's that same notion that says that when the Lord comes back, the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the caught up in the resurrection of the body. But those who are alive and remain will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. What happened, Edith, very unusual. You just don't find this in the Old We find the case of Elijah later on. But these are the only two people anywhere testified in Scripture of men that had some kind of experience in their demise. The Lord had said, you shall surely die. And they all died, except Enoch. <laughs> and in Enoch, the Lord gave us a clear prophecy of the return, the coming, the translation, the transformation, the resurrection of what he had in mind later on down through the centuries. Enoch walked with God. Are you walking with God? Enoch stood against the ungodliness of his generation. Are you standing against the ungodliness of your generation? It's hard to fathom how ungodly the ungodliness of the ungodly has become in our ungodly society. And we're probably the most upright nation on earth. The judgment of God is there. Thou shalt surely die. The gospel promise is there. You'll be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and you will be caught up. And so shall you ever be with the Lord. Do you have faith? Do you believe the promises? Do you believe the promises of salvation? Enoch was saved the same way you and I are, by the grace of God, through faith in the promises of God, which all focus and have their amen, have their yes, their affirmative, their fulfillment in Christ. Enoch was saved by grace through faith in Christ. According to the Word of God, you need hear and believe the gospel. Your eternal destiny hangs on it. 